This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning into UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. We have not been believers in the idea of stagflation. Very low growth and very high inflation seldom coexist. But we've consistently flagged this one risk that may get us there, the shutting off of gas supplies from Russia to Europe. And gas more so than oil because of the difficulty of storing and transporting gas, which means that its supplies are much less fungible than those of oil. For the bulk of this year, things were going well. Storage facilities had been filling up quickly and we were on track to stack up enough gas to see off the winter. The sword above Europe's head seemed to be getting further away. Unfortunately, one can now well and truly feel the sharp end of it. As Russia has further reduced gas supplies to Germany since mid-June, nat gas prices have more than doubled. And just for broader context, they are 12.5 times higher than the average rate from 2018 to 2020. That's 1,250% inflation in the price of natural gas. European producers and consumers do not know this as yet. Stagflationary risks in Europe are becoming very real. We are going to dive deep into the potential energy shock to Europe. In the first part, we will frame the magnitude of the problem in the Europe nat gas market with Henri Patricot, head of European oil and gas research. In the second part, we will speak to Felix Hufner, senior European economist, about the potential hit to the European economy and inflation. In the third part, Sam Airy, head of European utility research, will take us through industries that are most impacted, whether the risks are already priced, and what could go right. So, let's start today with Henri on the scale of the problem in the gas market. Henri, welcome. Hello, Benu. How large is natural gas as a proportion of Europe's total energy use? How much of this comes from Russia? And who's the most exposed here? Yes, thank you, Banu. Um, so on um, natural gas, we usually makes up about uh, 25% of European energy consumption. If you look at the, the total European market, so the EU plus the UK, on an annual basis, you're around 450 BCM of gas. Uh, production in Europe, around 75 BCM, so about 15% of the total um, and that's actually a sharp drop um, over the last few years if you are to go back to just 2013 we are at twice this level 150 bcm there's been a pretty sharp decline in the last few years um, which is part of the reason why we have um, this issue of, of sourcing gas today and then you have uh, norway uh, which is a very important supplier 110 bcm uh, a bit more than 20 percent of total supply to europe and then you have a few other um, suppliers by pipeline, Algeria, Libya, Azerbaijan, which add up to something around 50 BCM or 10% of the total. And then you have LNG imports, which on our forecast should be this year around 150 BCM, around one third of the total. And the last one, of course, Russian uh, gas supply, which we're kind of expecting to um, reach 100 BCM this year, about 20% of the total um, before the developments of the last few weeks and the further drop in export from Russia. Um, and that 100 BCM was already down from around 150 BCM 
So when you look at who is most uh, vulnerable for uh, drop in, in Russian supply, well, Germany is the largest importer of Russian gas. Uh, you have the Nord Stream 1 pipeline that goes directly to Germany from Russia uh, that has 55 BCM per annum of capacity. And you have another pipeline, Yemen Europe, that goes to Germany via, via Poland. So normally, Germany will import about 50 BCM of Russian gas, about two-thirds of its um, uh, total gas demand. And the issue that the country has is that there is no LNG import capacity, no regasification. Now, other large importers of Russian gas include uh, Italy, about 20 BCM of 30% of demand. Um, and you also have Austria, other countries in Eastern Europe, such as Bulgaria or Hungary, very reliant on Russian gas. Um, and then at the very other end of the spectrum, you have European countries which don't import any Russian gas, like the UK or Spain and, and Portugal. Okay, so uh, I think I was quite unfair out there because I asked you three questions in one and you gave me a great answer, but I think I need to summarize here because there was so much good information out there. So it's a 450 BCM market, is Europe, of which Russia used to be about, that's 450 BCM gas market, right? Not all, all energy. So gas market is 450 BCM, of which Russia used to be about 150, so about one third, and now is about 20. Uh, Germany is the most exposed, used to get more than 50% from Russia, now it gets about a third from Russia. Uh, Italy is exposed, Austria is exposed, and the other end of the spectrum are Spain, which has its regasification facilities uh, and therefore can convert LNG into, into gas, uh, and also the UK, which has the North Sea. So that's, that's the makeup. So the second question will be an easier one, Henri. Uh, how much gas is coming through at the current moment, so what is the status quo, and what do you expect over the next six months? Yes, uh, I would say that until a few weeks ago, we had more than 250 million cubic meters per day coming to to Europe from Russia. Uh, so we're kind of on track to to get to our um, you know, the forecast of 100 BCM for the full year. Um, but now this has dropped to just a bit more than 100 million cubic meters per day um, after Russia interrupted supply to several European countries, uh, including. Poland, Bulgaria, uh, Finland, and also um, catch supply via the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. So if we stay at this sort of level, we have Russian exports to the EU by pipeline closer to about 65, 70 BCM rather than 100. Um, and I'd see yeah, a little bit difficult to say what we can expect for, uh, for the second half of the year. Uh, we have the Nord Stream 1 pipeline going into maintenance for 10 days on the 11th of July. Um, so it's going to to zero um, for this, this period. Um, and then difficult to say where exactly we uh, we get to. Um, flow could increase you know, from the current level of 67 million cubic meters per day. Um, they could go up to 140, 160 is the normal level. Um, but the thing is that if you look at uh, the flows via Ukraine, they are below capacity currently. Uh, and Russia would be able to, to increase exports via Ukraine if you wanted to, if you wanted to compensate for a drop via Nord Stream 1, but it hasn't done so um, in the past um, in the past couple of weeks. So I think there's, there's a risk around that, um, that supply in the second half of the year. That's the story for this year. I wanted to ask you more long term, so over the secular horizon, let's say three to five years, is there reason to believe that things will very quickly revert back to normal or is this a market that's going to stay tight for a while? 
Yeah, I think that the market can remain very tight um, until you know, maybe 2026, which is when you have the, the next wave of LNG supply coming on stream, primarily in the US and, uh, and in Qatar as well. Um, and that's the, the issue in this gas market. You've had underinvestment uh, for a few years. I mentioned the sharp drop in production in Europe, but there's also been a cut in investment in new um, LNG because we have extremely high prices currently, but we had a period of relatively low uh, prices um, in the 2010s, and um, oil companies have been reducing capex, including oil and energy projects. Henri, let me ask you about substitutability, right? So, uh, within gas, there's gas and there's LNG, and uh, one you could, to a limited extent, substitute away. And of course, there's the Freeport outage as well in Texas. Um, but what about other fuels? What, what about coal? What about fuel oil? What about nuclear? Can Europe not go away seamlessly from natural gas to other fuels? Yeah, I mean, there is indeed some substitution that's possible for, for natural gas, and say, uh, primarily to, to coal and power generation. Um, and we've seen a drop in demand for gas for power generation of about maybe 10 Percent um, in the past few months, which uh, can save you about 15 BCM on an annualized basis. Um, probably room to do um, a little bit more here, but um, I mean, given the level of gas prices that we've had since last summer, um, there's already been this significant uh, switching from gas um, into coal. Uh, over time, yeah, you would expect to see this acceleration in the rollout of renewables, uh, and then later on with uh, more nuclear. Um, but in, in the near term, um, you perhaps a little bit limited around this sort of flexibility because um, yeah, it's probably coal that gives you that um, you know, immediate response, immediate availability. And then we've done much of, um, of that already in the last few months. And on substitution, if we look at the supply side, uh, and the easiest one is LNG, um, but you have two issues here. The first one is regasification capacity, which kind of caps European imports of around 175 BCM per annum, uh, which is where we were in the, the first half of the year, close to this maximum capacity. There are more terminals coming in Germany uh, and Italy in particular, uh, which will have close to, to 40 BCM in Germany, 7 BCM in Italy for now. Um, and some of that will be ready for winter 23, uh, 24, but not for the next, um, not for the next six months. And then you have a second issue, which is um, LNG availability. So we just discussed um, it's a tight market uh, and you need to displace other buyers. It's been easier recently because of the Chinese lockdowns. Chinese imports on 30% year on year, um, but closer to winter, there should be more competition for the gas. And for Europe, if you look at other pipe gas suppliers, um, the exports have been running at record highs since last summer, pretty much. So from Norway, from North Africa, they've been sending as much as, as possible. Um, there's some additional supply to, to come, but then um, we're talking about a few, few extra BCM there. And then you come to uh, domestic uh, production, uh, but not seeing that much change in, in Europe on um, trying to incentivize more natural gas production. I think the key moving part here is the Groningen field in the Netherlands, where production has been capped over the last few years because the field was generating earthquakes in the Netherlands, and um, uh, the field was due to stop later this year. Um, but it could add potentially at least 10 BCM per annum if the Netherlands were to extend the life of the field beyond the, the end of this year. Are you seeing signs that demand is already being destroyed, demand for fuel, but more generally for nat gas, but more generally for fuels? Um, is that demand already coming down as a result of high prices? 
if you look at um, European gas demand overall, it was down about 20% year on year in April and May. Some of that was also weather related, um, but the rest was the yeah, impact of high prices on, on power gen and also uh, some on the industrial um, uh, demand. So we've seen the demand destruction on natural gas. More broadly, uh, in the energy markets, um, it's less obvious on the list in the OECD. Um, if you look at oil specifically, um, we haven't seen um, pretty significant weakness there. There is much more pent-up demand for travel after COVID-19, and uh, governments have also stepped in with tax breaks, discounts at the pump, uh, which means that we see you know, even lower um, elasticity of, of demand than usual. I think that road transport will be uh, you know, the first impacted by uh, demand destruction on, on the old side, gasoline in particular. Uh, I think that that's where to, um, yeah, to, to be looking for signs of demand destruction in the next few months. Okay, that's brilliant. So let me try and summarize, Henri. So um, how large is the natural gas market? It's 450 billion um, cubic meters supply um, for into, into Europe, of which Russia used to be a third. It is now 20%. Germany, Italy, most exposed. Spain, UK, least exposed in the continent. Um, the gas that's coming through, uh, you have storage levels in Europe at about 58%. We were hoping to get to 90 to 100%, but that seems very unlikely now. Uh, and you could have um, trouble through uh, the winter, especially if it's a very cold winter. But what I think for me was one of the most important takeaways in this interview was, number three, you expect this market to remain tight, not just for this year, but for the next five years, practically, you think the market's going to remain quite tight because LNG capacity doesn't come on before that. And in terms of substitutes, again, you're not giving me too much hope. You're saying a lot of this substitutability away towards coal, towards nuclear, towards fuel oil has been already underway for the better part of a year. Um, and we don't expect much incremental move in terms of substitutability there. Um, and demand destruction hasn't yet truly happened. There's been a little bit of natural gas, but more broadly for fuels within the OECD, you haven't really seen the demand destruction start as yet. Henri, thanks very much for your time. That was very useful. So now let's hear from Felix as he quantifies the risk to growth and inflation from nat gas supply problems. Felix, welcome. Thank you. Um, if the volumes of Russian natural gas exports to Europe do get cut dramatically from here, is that enough to push Europe into a recession? And what depth and length of recession are we talking about, if so? Right, so the answer to the first question is yes, because in our baseline uh, forecast, we have Europe stagnating in the second half of the year. So it doesn't take you know, a big shock to get us into recession. Uh, the more difficult question is how deep and how long it would be. I think here are three factors that play a role. One is you have the impact of the volume cuts on production uh, and spillover effects. You have the price effect of, of higher gas prices and you have confidence effects uh, and all taken together that make you know, the, the impact. Uh, our view would be that this could be a three percentage point hit to Eurozone growth. You've modeled it not just as a price shock, but also a volume shock, if it were to come to that. So let's talk about that volume shock in terms of rationing. Um, when do we get there, if we get there? And, and what are the steps to get there? So could you just talk us through sort of the three stages of the German process? Right. So we have three stages of the gas emergency plan, alert, alarm, and emergency. We're now at level two, which basically means you have more monitoring. Level three has uh, the rationing. 
coming in. So we're closer to uh, level three, but not, that, not yet there. The big focus is on mid-July, when the Nord Stream 1 uh, pipeline is undergoing maintenance from July 11th to 21st. Uh, and this will be watched closely whether gas volumes hold up or not. Uh, however, the important thing in level two, where we are in now, is that the government has the option of allowing utility companies to pass through higher prices towards to the end users, households and corporates, within a very short time. Uh, so you can get a significant price effect, which would have an impact on inflation, even before you get to specific rationing. The German economy minister was recently saying that they hope not to have to turn to rationing. Of course, it's a hope, not a forecast. But the probability of rationing is increasing by the day. Is that a fair comment? Yes. If that happens, which part of the German and the European economy is most vulnerable? Consumers, producers, who's most vulnerable if rationing was to be put in place? Right, so if you look at the sector level, who uses gas, it's around 40% goes to households, around 37% goes to industry, and the rest is services, and to a small extent, uh, transport. So now, in, in case of rationing, households are protected, and essential services as well. So the big hit is really on the industry uh, sector. And then within industry, if you look at who is, who is the biggest gas user, uh, it's the chemical industry, which at the European level uses about a quarter uh, of, of the gas. Uh, so that gets, gets hit. You've told me about a 3% hit to GDP. Let's talk about inflation. How much of an impact can the stoppage of Russian natural gas to Europe have on inflation, both in Germany and also in the Eurozone, please? Currently, we estimate that end users are paying between 25 and 50 euros per megawatt hour. The current market price uh, is north of 130 uh, euros. Uh, so if very much in extreme you were to pass on the full market price, uh, that would lead to an increase uh, in the German inflation rate by eight percentage points. Uh, that is probably a very extreme assumption, but we would think that at the German level, uh, an increase of three percentage points on inflation is sensible, and at the European level, two percentage points. That's our best guess, but it's very uncertain. But that's still quite a large number. That's an incremental shock of two percentage points in Europe, potentially three percentage points in Germany. Uh, and you said in extremis, it could be as much as eight percentage points in Germany. That's, a, that's quite a number. I'm saying this is an extreme assumption yes. because uh, also there's likely to be a fiscal response uh, coming in. Uh, that you either protect households by, by giving them transfers or uh, the government basically preventing the retail price going as high. Let's talk policy, uh, both monetary and fiscal, please. So quite a tightrope for the ECB to walk if you're moving towards stagflation. Do they worry about growth and get dovish or do they worry about inflation expectations and remain hawkish for a long time? And how will fiscal policy compensate? Our sense would be that they focus first uh, on the inflation surprises. They have been surprised uh, by the strength of inflation. Uh, their forecasts have been too low. Uh, and I think they're making every effort to fight inflation in the, in the short term. So we would think uh, the ECB would, would progress with aggressive rate hikes in the summer and the autumn, and then assess how deep uh, the recession and, and the hit to growth would be also on labor markets and then perhaps reassess towards later that year. And that decision also then depends on what fiscal policy does. What's your baseline on fiscal? We have for this year uh, fiscal easing of 0.5% of GDP. 
Uh, that's in our, our baseline. So slight easing of fiscal policy. And in case uh, of things getting worse, so worse than our baseline, we would think there's, there's more fiscal coming. Can I just uh, try to put this question in as well? Do you think the probability of another euro bond being issued is high? I think that's a difficult decision because if you think uh, about where the biggest hit to growth and uh, inflation would be, uh, it's in particular in Germany. So in terms of if you think about the euro bond uh, mutualizing or, or shifting the burden from the stronger countries to the weaker countries, as we've seen with the recovery fund, in such a shock that we have right now, it's not so straightforward because, as I said, Germany would have uh, uh, you know, a large part of the, of the shock to shoulder. Um, and that makes this, this burden-sharing discussion a lot more complicated. Brilliant. Let me try and, and summarize uh, your thoughts here, Felix. So uh, if Russian energy was to be stopped coming into Europe, that would probably mean a 3% hit to um, European growth, uh, the bulk of it concentrated in 2023. Um, rationing is not obvious, but probabilities are increasing. And if we don't see a resumption of flows post uh, Nord Stream 1, outage, then there is a high probability that we will move towards rationing. Uh, consumer will be protected, producer most vulnerable. Um, inflation, uh, two percentage points is the number that you've penciled in, but it could be much worse for both the Eurozone and also for Germany. For Germany, as much as eight percentage points, you said, if the full pass-through goes, goes ahead. And monetary policy will remain hawkish for the foreseeable future, despite the fact that obviously growth surprises are coming down. Fiscal policy will probably have to compensate. Um, we are our base case is half a percentage point of easing of fiscal policy, but it could be well more than that if rationing comes in. Felix, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Banal. In this third part, Sam Airy, head of European Utilities Research, will take us through industries that are most impacted, whether the risks are already priced and what could go right. Let's hear from Sam. Sam, thanks for your time. So as a first question, let me ask you, where does the buck stop? Who's going to take the hit from this? Is it the utility companies? Is it the consumers? Is it the producers in the middle? And when do prices rise if they do? That's a great question to start with, because I think up to now, the market's been thinking the buck stops with utilities. But I'm not sure that's right. In the short run, it does. But as soon as we get into this process of repricing, of passing on the cost of any Russian gas shortfall uh, to the industrial end users, uh, then the risk will shift from utilities to those industries. So, and I think that's going to come sooner rather than later. Your question is timing. Of course, we don't know exactly what the timing will be. Uh, something could happen in the next few days. I suppose that's possible. But perhaps we think it's more likely we'll see a decision later in uh, July, sometime between now and the end of the planned outage on the Nord Stream pipeline. So, Felix referred weeks. to this. You think the consumers will be relatively more protected? Well, consumers might have to shoulder a part of the additional cost here. There's um, going to be impacts for everybody. Uh, but I think the consumers would be protected if we went to an extreme scenario with, for example, no Russian gas. And then I think curtailment or rationing would be focused on industrials in order to keep uh, gas flowing to consumers through the winter. Got it. So the volume uh, curtailment is a producer problem, but certainly the price problem is a consumer problem as well. Right? It probably will be, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, Let's talk about which industries are going to be most impacted. So obviously utilities are, are right in the thick of this, but this is not just a utilities problem. Which industry should we be worried about? Chemical companies use gas as a feedstock as well as an energy source. 
uh, but you'll find heavy gas use in lots of other sectors, in automotive, in uh, food processing, um, and, and other sectors. So it's potentially quite a widespread uh, you know, uh, impact for the economy to absorb. Indeed. So all, all heavy industry, metals, uh, glass, auto. So this is a wide spectrum of industry that's going to be impacted. Chemicals, in fact, are used in so many other um, industries as well. So this is not just going to be one industry. It's going to impact the entire spectrum of industries. So let's ask the same question now in terms of countries. Is this only a German problem or is this a European problem? Well, what we're talking about at the moment is this sudden step down in volumes on the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. And that is impacting Germany first and foremost. Um, it impacts some other countries already. For example, France does receive some of the gas flows that originally come through Nord Stream 1. It's not affecting other countries like Italy, which have a high dependence on Russian gas, but not through that route. Italy gets uh, gas through uh, LNG, through uh, the Ukraine uh, route, uh, through the route through Turkey from Azerbaijan. So at the minute, it's quite a mixed effect, but first and foremost, impacting Germany. Right. It does percolate down eventually, however, you think. I mean, because Germany is a major re-exporter of gas as well. So will there be curtailment of volumes to the rest of the continent? Well, look, that, that's right. And it percolates everywhere because these are commodity markets and the commodity price uh, travels quickly to all markets. So, for example, if you look at the UK, the UK is a country which has very little dependence on Russian gas. We have our own gas supplies in the North Sea. Um, but will, will we be impacted by higher gas prices in general? Of course we will, uh, if there's a shortage in continental Europe. Right. Tough question. Is this priced already? Because stocks have come off a lot. I mean, if you look at price of some of these chems, they were already low and they have suffered further since. Do you think the worst case is being priced by the market? It can't be priced because we don't know what's coming exactly. We know that uh, the German authorities, if you like, blown the whistle on this level two uh, stage in the gas management framework, but they haven't yet turned that into an action on repricing. Secondly, I think there's a question, what's the scenario? Are we just talking about pricing the cut in volumes that we saw in the middle of June with the technical issue on Nord Stream, or are we anticipating more cuts? Lastly, Sam, is there a path through which things improve considerably? How do things go positive from here? Because clearly there's so much that can go wrong and it's not fully priced. But what can go right here? It's difficult to see, though. It's difficult to see what would be the chain of events that would lead to increased supply of gas from Russia into Western Europe. And of course, we are already maximizing all the other sources of gas into Europe um, since we've had Russian shortfalls since last summer already. So what could we be more constructive on? I mean, I suppose we can get lucky. We could get lucky on the weather. If we have a warm winter, that's going to take down some pressure a little bit. And that did happen last year to some extent. Um, we could see some more flexible demand response out of consumers as well as industry. Um, and that could help as well. You know, if the, the famous saying is, if you turn down the thermostat by one degree, you cut your gas consumption by 10% in the year. So will we see with all the news associated with this and the, and the price increases, will we see more willingness to turn down thermostats and reduce what you might call quote unquote unnecessary demand? And maybe we could, and that would certainly be very helpful. Right. So let me, let me try and summarize. Um, right now, utilities are facing the pain, but this is very quickly going to move to producers, eventually to consumers in different ways. Consumers take uh, the price hit, producers take the volume and the price hit. Um, this is going to impact a plethora of sectors. 
chemicals in the main, but also glass, auto, food. And through these multiplier effects, it's going to impact many industrial sectors, so not just the utilities. This for now is a German problem, but that can change over time because Germany is a major re-exporter of gas. It's not priced. Certainly the worst case is not priced, but even somewhere between now and the worst case is not priced because we don't know how things are likely to pan out. And I felt that uh, I kind of forced you when I asked you what could go right. It doesn't look like you're very optimistic, more than 40%. So we'll have to watch. Sam, thanks very much for your time. This content has been prepared by UBSAG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content and has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, regulatory, or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2022. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.